We're coming tonight to Christ's letter to the church at Sardis, these seven churches of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that John is uh, instructed to address, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so what Christ, the head of the church, has to say to each church is not just relevant to them, but is relevant to the Church of Christ in all places at all times. Each letter ends with the refrain, he who has an ear, singular, so we all have a responsibility, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. Uh, And we should be asking the Lord as we're going through these letters, Lord, what are you saying to us here in Cardiff in the 21st century? It's what Christ thinks of the church that matters. And when we come to the letter of the church in Sardis, it's one of the shortest, but it is also one of the most severe in what Jesus has to say. So it is with some fear and trepidation that I am standing before you tonight, Uh, but we still need to look at this letter. Now, like we've done with the other letters, let's just uh, have some background information on the location of the church. Uh, Sardis was inland, and it was built about 1,500 feet up on a high plateau, and it was quite impregnable. It had natural defences, And the main part of the city, the citadel, and the rest of the city was on this plateau. So it was very well defended. And then below, uh, there was an important junction of five main routes. And as a result, Sardis was an important centre for trade. It was renowned for its trade in wool. And as a result, it probably would have been a wealthy city. The main temple in this city, uh, every city had its uh, temples and each had a distinctive uh, god. Well, in Sardis, it was the Greek god Artemis, who uh, apparently uh, was believed to have the power of restoring the dead to life. Uh, We'll see the significance of that later. Uh, That was uh, the main temple. And then uh, the city had uh, a very glorious past. Uh, Many centuries ago, 6th century BC, it had its glory days. And now the city was a shadow of its former self. But the people of Sardis were proud and boastful. And they uh, were kind of living on their past reputation. Now, two things tonight. I'm taking two phrases that Jesus uses in this letter. The first is a negative and then a positive. The negative is only a name to live by. Only a name to live by. It wasn't just the city that was living on its past reputation, but the church in Sardis as well. 
it was quite something, wasn't it, to have a reputation. Let me just read uh, verse 1. I know your works, says the head of the church, that you have a name, that you are alive. So she had this, like the city, this great reputation. Uh, The members of the church thought this was quite some church, and the other churches round about thought uh, that the church in Sardis uh, was a great church. But what did Jesus Christ, the head of the church, have to say? I know your works, that even though you have a name that you are alive, you are in fact dead. How scary, how scary to think that you've got a good reputation, a good name. It's important in Wales, isn't it? To have a good name. But for Jesus Christ to say, oh no, you are just on the outside, inside, there is nothing. That frightens me, and I'm sure it frightens you too. Uh, One of the nicknames given to Sardis was the City of a Thousand Hills. Do you know what that referred to? It had burial grounds. And when you looked at it from a distance, the burial grounds looked like little hills. And if you've been to Jerusalem and the cemetery on the Mount of Olives, you'll understand what I mean by that. And one of the commentators uses his imagination here and he puts it like this. It doesn't matter if you've got a reputation of being alive as a church. It doesn't matter if you have a thousand members, as it were. Wouldn't that be great? Having a thousand members? I don't think we could hold a thousand members in this church. But the problem is this. You can be as dead as a cemetery. You can be like Sardis, a cemetery of a thousand hills, a church of a thousand dead members. Uh, Here's one commentator. Sardis was known for being overconfident and boastful, yet behind the reputation there was no substance. This church was all name and no reality, all reputation and no life. Now, let's dig a bit deeper into this church in Sardis, because we've already looked at four other churches And we've noted some of the problems that they had. There's no mention here in Sardis of those problems. So there's no mention here of the false teaching of the Nicolaitans. Remember that? There's no mention of heresy. So we must deduce from that that the teaching was good. There's no mention of opposition or of persecution like a number of the other churches so everything was peaceful here there's no mention of discord amongst the congregation and if we would have been in this church with its reputation with its teaching with its peace we probably might have felt good but the problem is this you can have peace but it can be the peace of the cemetery Uh, some of the most peaceful places in cardiff are the burial grounds aren't they 
there's peace there because there's no life there. If you've got life, you've got problems sometimes. Jesus says, I know your works. So this church would probably have been an active church. So it's possible to be full of activity and spiritually dead. I've made a note here of things that can make a church look impressive, like the church in Sardis. Uh, these are some of the things, when you get pastors together, <laughs> and when we start talking about what's happening, uh, we tend to talk on this level. Great numbers. It's always numbers, isn't it? Christianity shouldn't be a numbers game, but alas, it is. So we tend to think that if a church has great numbers, it must be impressive. Well, the world has won the numbers game. That doesn't mean that God is blessing them. Great singing. Well, that's not relevant at the moment. <laughs> but thinking of my own background in Welsh-speaking, chapel-going Christianity, uh, even as a child, I can remember the Caman Vaganis, the singing festivals, and the chapels like this would be full. But there was no gospel. It was just people singing their hearts out. Now, we love singing our hearts out, don't we? Especially now that we can't do it. But that's not a sign of spiritual life, especially if you're Welsh, because we like our hymn singing. A packed program of activities. There are some churches here in Cardiff. They are renowned for, in one sense, being social centres. I, I can think of, of some uh, Welsh churches that uh, don't have gospel preaching, but they are full of activities. Activities doesn't mean anything. Now, do you notice something about these things I'm mentioning here? They're not bad in and of themselves. They're very desirable. But what I'm trying to say is they're not signs of spiritual life, necessarily. You can still have them and have no spiritual life. Uh, I'm sure in Sardis, the people were well off. There was much money, much resources. They probably would not have had their own buildings. The church didn't have that until a few generations later. But they were people uh, that had resources. And that doesn't mean anything in terms of spiritual life. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Give me a tin tabernacle any day with God's presence than have all the buildings in the world. Sound teaching, uh, a good Christian heritage. Aren't you proud of the heritage that we belong to? I love it. Experiential, reformed Christianity. A good thing. But that isn't a sign of spiritual life, necessarily. We can live moral lives. We can talk religiously. And again, these are good things. But they're not necessarily signs of spiritual life. How did Paul put it to Timothy? 
It's possible. And I think this was the danger in Sardis. There was no false teaching. There was no immorality, not outward immorality. There was no persecution. In one sense, we can understand that the devil was leaving them alone. But what they lacked was life. So Paul, putting it to Timothy, puts it well, I think, to have a form, an appearance of godliness, but denying its power, its substance, its reality. Look at how Jesus Christ puts it in this letter. Uh, Where are we? I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And then he says, I have not found your works perfect before God. Pastor, you say, what does that mean? None of us are perfect, even as saved Christians. I agree. A better translation is, I have not found your works complete before God. I have not found your work to have substance before God. You are good at doing all the outward things. But what I'm looking for is your heart, says Jesus Christ. Remember when we looked at uh, the fig tree, the barren fig tree outside Bethany, how Jesus cursed it because it had nothing but leaves. It was full of leaves. In outward appearance, it had everything, but it lacked what? Fruit, fruit. Howell's been helping us consider the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot replicate that. Can you see why I'm going through this letter with fear and trepidation? This is our danger. Have we got the reality, the reality? Yes, we should do the right things. But do they come from the heart? That's the emphasis. Uh, Vance Havner, uh, he uh, put the stages of a work of the spirits. And he put it like this. Uh, Think of some of these men that Keith and Alan are interviewing on a Sunday night. It's a blessing to hear of what God did in the 60s and 70s, is it not? There was a move of the Spirit, a work of the spirits. So what happens? What often happens is this. God uses a man or a woman. Uh, remember what E.M. Bound said? God doesn't bless a plan. <laughs> God blesses a person, a person. So here is not so much a minister. It might be a minister, uh, but it might be a normal Christian. And God comes upon that person by his spirits. And a work happens. And then the next stage is that other people are touched. And you've got a movement of the spirits. It's not something that you plan. It's just something that happens. I had somebody sharing with me recently how they remember coming into this church in the 1970s. And there was a stillness before the service. Not because people were told not to speak, but the sense that God was present. And as the word was opened, that stillness became more intense. Not because it was forced, because there was this sense of God, a movement of the Spirit. But then, what happens after that? 
you have a machine then. So a man or a woman, baptized with the spirits. A movement, several people. And then a machine, what's that? Well, we try to maintain the spiritual momentum, don't we? And so and there's nothing wrong with this. We may uh, have our committees and we may uh, have all sorts of organizational things to try and keep what we've got. You can see that happening across the centuries. And this is the danger now. And this is what was happening at Sardis. The danger is we begin to lose sight of the life and of the one who gives that life. And we begin to concentrate on the outward and on the processes that keep that life going. And you know what happens eventually? Eventually the machine conks out. Because it's only the Holy Spirit that can produce something that goes on. And what you're left with is a monument. A monument. A man, a movement, a machine, a monument. And that's where the church in Sardis was heading. To a monument. It was living on its past reputation. And all that was going to be left one day was a monument. That's scary, isn't it? There are so many monuments to God's works of grace in Wales. Big chapels no longer meeting. All they are now are monuments. Oh, may this church not become a monument. So having a name, even the best of names isn't enough. We need life. We need substance. We need reality without despising the name and the heritage. So that's the first thing. That's the negative thing. No church is immune from becoming a monument. The second positive thing, strengthen the things that remain. I love that statement. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. Now, that encourages me no end. Do you know why? There's a saying, where there's life, there's hope. Where there's life, there's hope. And what Jesus Christ is saying to this church, which is becoming a monument, there's still enough things that remain to be revived and to change the situation. Where there's life, a person may have a weak pulse, but there's still life there. They're not dead yet. This is the difference, you know, between revival and regeneration. Uh, don't we sometimes mistakenly pray that God would revive the world or revive our country? You can't pray that. What unbelievers need is not reviving. It's regeneration. You can only revive somebody who's fallen asleep. To revive means to wake up. Now, you can't wake up an unbeliever because they're dead in trespasses and sins. They need to be regenerated. But the church needs revival because the church falls into a state of slumber. And that is what had happened in Sardis. Uh, there is one village in Wales where they've called the church Sardis. Fancy that, calling your church Sardis. You must think uh, that there is enough things remaining for the Lord to revive. 
So let's look at what is it to strengthen the things that remain. I believe in our churches in Wales, there is still hope because there's life there. Our spiritual life may not have be as great as it was in the 60s or 70s, but praise be to God, there's still life. There's still life. Now, what does Jesus say? How do I strengthen the things that remain? Be watchful. And then, if you will not watch, middle of verse 3, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. What is Jesus saying? Wake up. Be watchful. Wake up. Or I will come as a thief in the night. Suddenly. You will die in your sleep. Wake up. Bob Dylan sings. When you're gonna wake up and strengthen the things that remain. They go together. Wake up. Interestingly, Sardis was conquered uh, many centuries before by Alexander the Great. Do you know how he managed to get into the citadel, even though it was supposed to be impregnable? The guards had ceased to be watchful. They'd fallen asleep. And so the enemy was able to get in. And this is how the church in Sardis was going. The believers there, because of the name, because of the reputation, had been lulled into a state of false security. Uh, you remember in um, Bunyan's holy war, how the city of Mansoul, gloriously saved by Emmanuel, begins to go away from him. Do you know how it started? A Mr. Carnal security came into the middle of Mansoul. Mansoul didn't commit a heinous sin. It was carnal security that got into its heart. And isn't that how things often begin in terms of a spiritual decline? We think that we're still going on with the Lord because we're still believing the same things. We're still doing the same things. We've still, to all intents and purposes, appear to be blessed. But in our hearts, we've become secure. We've forgotten to watch. We've got this confidence in ourselves. And Jesus says, wake up. Realize that you've only got a name to live by. Realize you've been anesthetized by your reputation. I don't like being woken up, do you? It's a horrible experience. Especially when you're in that uh, zone between being fully awake and asleep. You just don't know where you are. And isn't it a bit like that spiritually when we begin to wake up? It's uncomfortable, but... Oh, how healthy it is. So wake up, wake up. Uh, Augustine, uh, this was his conversion verse, the verse I um, opened the meeting with. Uh, he was seeking God and he wasn't ready to get rid of all of his sins. He still wanted to have his womanizing. And then he was in a garden 
and he heard the voice of children singing Tala Lege, take up and read. And he took up an open Bible that was on one of the benches and he opened up on these words, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. And he woke up. Oh, my friend, isn't it time for us to wake up? Isn't it time for us to stop dreaming? Isn't it time for us to stop building our daisy chains? Isn't it time, high time, for us to awake out of sleep and to realise that there is an enemy and that unless we are watching unto prayer, the devil will get in. You know, if uh, the devil is leaving you alone, it's because you are asleep. We can take encouragement when the devil attacks because it shows he's worried. Uh, There's a saying, I don't know who said it, that if you uh, don't meet the devil in his attacks, you're walking in the same direction as him. Isn't that good? But if you're going in opposite directions, at some point you'll meet him. So wake up, wake up. And then the next thing, if we're to strengthen the things that remain, remember, remember, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Remember. What's that all about? Remember when you first heard about Jesus Christ. Can you remember the time you were saved? Remember what was it that saved you? Was it your reputation? What was our reputation when we came to Christ? Our reputation was this, sinners... We didn't have anything. Even our righteousnesses were as filthy rags. Remember. Remember the years that he has kept you. Remember the provisions that he has made for you. Remember how sweet the name of Jesus sounds In a believer's ear, it soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fears. Remember Christ. That's why we get into a state of slumber. We forget Christ. Uh, Interesting here how Jesus Christ introduces himself to the church. He takes one of the characteristics of the vision that John had of him in chapter 1, and each characteristic is relevant to the church in question. So for Sardis, he who has the seven spirits of God, we have seen that those seven spirits, capital S, refer to the Holy Spirits. Now that doesn't mean to say that there are seven persons of the Holy Spirits. If we were in a Bible study, I would ask you, what does the number seven signify in Revelation? It has a symbolic meaning, and the number seven means completeness. 
And I like the way that Jesus puts it. He says to this church, which was living on its past reputation, which had lost substance and was living on its outward beliefs and activity, he says, you are not complete before God. You don't have that vitality because you have forgotten where to get it from. My friends, our completeness is in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. We can be busy theologizing. We can be busy uh, with all of our activities. We, we can be busy even measuring our spiritual temperature. But if it's not directed to Christ, there's never going to be a vitality. I don't know of anything else that satisfies apart from Christ. And I don't know of any other provision for the church apart from Christ. And if we have forgotten that, then we have fallen asleep spiritually. All that I need is in Christ. My every need, he richly will supply. We don't need anything else but Christ. Yes, Christ gives gifts to the church. Christ gives all sorts of things. But what happens when we forget? What happens when we become like the church in Sardis? We begin to make more of the gifts than the giver. The giver. I think it is right uh, that we should pray that the Lord would raise men as in the Havner. Uh, quotation, filled with the Spirit. But in one sense, we've got that the wrong way around, haven't we? There's already a man, <laughs> a real man in heaven who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and it's Jesus Christ. And maybe instead of praying that God would raise somebody, we should pray to Christ, that he would give to us the Holy Spirit. I've been much helped by Douglas Kelly's commentary on Revelation. Here it is. And he puts it like this. Uh, it's very helpful. Remember, he's putting these words in the mouth of Christ. Remember, church, in Sardis, I am in charge. Remember me as the one who is able to send you the Holy Spirit. If you want things to be different, first of all, look to me. Do not worry about others. Do not count uh, your resources before you do anything else. Look up into my face. I am in charge and I can give unction. Isn't that where the church in Sardis had got wrong? It had got distracted from Christ. And isn't this where the churches in Wales at this moment are going astray if we're not careful? We're going away from Christ. Instead of looking to Christ, we're looking to one another. There's no point looking at one another. We don't have the answers. We don't have the resources. We don't have the power. But Christ has. And so we go to him 
And then uh, the Saviour mentions, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. I've gone too far now. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Who are the seven stars? These are the angels of the seven churches. The ministers, the messengers, the preachers. Isn't that interesting? That Christ here mentions his servants. This is the one thing that has challenged me listening uh, to uh, some of the interviews uh, on the Sunday nights. Uh, how these men uh, would say uh, that they were prayed for. I'm grateful for your prayers. I don't know how I could carry on without your prayers. But, you know, there is something, I think, in this that we are sh surely in need of lifting up God's servants up and down our land, that they would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Well, were you around in the 60s and 70s? I wasn't. Well, I was around in the 70s, but I was still in short trousers. How many of you remember those times when Christ visited his church in a very, very real way? Strengthen the things that remain. Wake up. Remember. Remember. Remember how you would seek in his word. You didn't just read your Bibles out of duty's sake, but you read it to be fed spiritually, to have the Saviour speak to you. Remember, coming to church on Sunday with expectant hearts that God was going to intervene. Remember the prayer meeting. Oh, how you would have believed that God really does hear and answer prayer. That when he is about to bless his people, a la Matthew Henry, he sets them a-praying. Remember how spiritual conversation would just come naturally. Remember how uh, you would share with other believers about what the Lord had done in your life. That's the dimension. That a church like Sardis... And maybe churches like our churches today need again. Um, Douglas Kelly, I'm coming to a conclusion here. Douglas Kelly gives a helpful example in his commentary. Uh, he lives in the States. I was privileged a number of years ago to go and uh, share fellowship with him. And that was a balm to my soul. And he was a student in Scotland and Douglas Kelly's written on the revivals in the United States, and he says in this commentary, I have never seen anything like that, but I did see a certain quickening when I was a PhD student in Edinburgh back in the late 60s and early 70s. For three or four years, there was a definite movement of the Holy Spirit amongst the students on, uh, on the campuses of the Scottish universities during weekly Bible studies. 
God had been greatly using some evangelical ministers like James Philip and Willie Still. They asked some of the older students from time to time to address groups of seeking students on Sunday nights at various universities. Large crowds attended, many of them never having heard the gospel, but they had been invited by Christian friends. After the preaching, the speaker would stay to answer questions, often until midnight. It was obvious, says Kelly, that the Holy Spirit was making crowds of young people seek the Lord. The risen Christ was communicating his spirits in the preaching. At nearly every meeting, students professed conversion. They had heard what Christ was like and wanted him now, no matter what changes it would entail in their lives. During that time, I almost never preached in Scotland without there being conversions. And the same was true of other speakers. There was nothing special in the sermons. There was nothing special in the organization. There was nothing special in the people. It was God. It was Christ sending his Holy Spirit. The completeness that we have in Christ coming upon the church. And you know what? He can do it again. He can do it again. <laughs> We're in need of him, aren't we? Uh, I'm just praying, O breath of life, come, sweeping through us. Even if you don't sweep, just come and blow upon these coals that have nearly died and cause the flame to come up again. Revive thy church with life and power. Oh, breath of life, come, cleanse. Maybe we need that. Renew us. Maybe we need that. And fit thy church to meet this hour. Thank God for the church we belong to. I'm proud to be the minister of this church. Thank God for our reputation, for our name. I'm not saying a word against it. It is precious to us. But may we never become like Sardis, where we only have a name. May we know the substance, and I trust we do. But it is weak, isn't it, the spiritual life. And may we strengthen what we've got, the things that remain. May we, this week, begin calling on him in our prayer meeting. May we be those who just give him no rest until he make Jerusalem, his church, a praise in the earth once again. I'll finish there. We'll have to carry on with the letter to Sardis next time, God willing.